I'm Lemuel Gonzalez, Repentant Sinner, and along with Amity Armstrong, your heavenly host, I invite you to find a place in the pew for today's Painless Sunday School lesson, Without Works. Today we're going to have an open discussion on violence, when to apply it or not, in light of recent events in Alabama, in your own personal Jesus. Your own personal Jesus. Jesus taught nonviolence. That's what we've been told. Is it true? You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Matthew 5.38-42 This is what comes to mind when discussing Jesus' response to violence. It was an example mentioned in both the Gospels of Matthew and Luke in contexts that suggest that he mentioned it on two separate occasions. That would make it a teaching he meant to reinforce through repetition. What does it mean? These teachings have had a profound effect on Christian thinking over the centuries. Think about the break with the Mosaic law that Jesus' words created. The teaching that, and Moses' law, of course, uh, reinforced uh, the uh, lex uh, talionis, the law of the claw, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Okay, and that's, Mosaic law is the law that, I mean, that of Moses? Law of Moses. But not like the Ten Commandments. It includes the Ten Commandments. Okay, there was more. Yeah. But were they also written in stone? No, they were not written in stone. It would have gone on forever, and it would have required a truck. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Hill, like that really. episode, or that movie, The Book of Eli, right. where we're to believe that the entire Braille Bible is fits in one book. No, it no, not. it does not. It would take a truck. <laughs> Christian anarchy is a political religious movement. It teaches, among other things, that any earthly government is inherently evil, and based on Jesus' teachings demands a rejection of hierarchical power structures used by the organized church and state. One of the most vocal and popular of its proponents was author Leo Tolstoy, who described the mainstream church and state and its contrast with Christian anarchy. That this social order, with its pauperism, famines, prisons, gallows, armies, and wars, is necessary to society, that still greater disaster would ensue if this organization were destroyed, all this is said only by those who profit by this organization, while those who suffer from it, and they are ten times as numerous, think and say quite the contrary. Time out. That is capitalism right now. <laughs> that is the United yes. States uh, system of government described to a T by one Leo Tolstoy. Oof. <laughs> yes, it is. And he is approaching Jesus' teachings in a very realistic context as opposed to what Christian nationalism is doing now, which is uh -huh. making Jesus the homeless refugee, right, who spent his childhood as a refugee, into, for some reason... Um, a gun-toting, flag-waving, uh, white right. <laughs> uh, militia member. Exactly. <laughs> That's basically how... Christian nationalists, at least, in the United States have pictured Christians. Picture Buddy Christ with a bandolier like right, Rambo exactly. and a 
in a, uh, in a, what is it, like a bandana. Uh, covering his uh, crown of thorns. Yes, that's right. So Tolstoy's book, The Kingdom of God is Within You, which itself is citing uh, a scripture, taught that the proper way to interpret Jesus' statement, turn the other cheek, was a, as a call to nonviolent resistance. This interpretation has had lasting effects. Tolstoy's correspondence with the young Mohandas Gandhi and the absorption of Tolstoy's teachings by American civil rights leader, like, leaders like Martin Luther King Jr. bore the, these ideas out. Right, it's the idea of yeah, sure, turn the other cheek, but in a real aggressive way. Like but, it's yes. it's like a sit-in, right? right? You won't let me sit here. Okay, cool. I'm going to sit here forever. Right, and this <laughs> is actually the kind of thing that Jesus practiced. This seems to be the best way to interpret Jesus' teachings. But the is the idea of turning the other cheek situational. In other words, is there a time that reacting without violence is counterproductive? I would argue that that time is when you're about to die. Well, here we have a couple of examples of Jesus' actual behavior. Now, Jesus' teachings shifted over time. Sure. Uh, as, you know, when he's first initiating his disciples, he's telling them something, and then later on he's sort of, uh, he's changing the teachings to suit their, their growing maturation. And uh, also, I would uh, presume, the new threat that they were under, right. that they were not under when exactly. they were just Jews doing... You know, just Jewish people following the teachings of the Jewish faith. Faith. Yes. Now they're out outlaws and renegades. That's exactly what I was about to bring up. Oh, earlier in his ministry, Jesus sends his disciples out to evangelize alone, to tell neighboring villages about the good news. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey, or extra shirts or sandals, or a staff. For the worker is worth his keep. Matthew ten nine to 10 Shortly before his death and glorification, Jesus reminds his disciples at that time that he sent them out on their own because he's now preparing to leave them. Right. Remember when you were by yourself? Right. It's coming again. Then Jesus asked them, When I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. Luke twenty-two thirty-five to 36. Woof. <laughs> so he's now telling them that bad times are coming. Yeah. And he Arm seems yourself. To be, right. He seems to be telling them, prepare yourselves. Now, mind you, uh, one of the responses that Peter has after this is uh, he has two swords, and that's more than enough. Mind you, there are... 12 disciples, but he really wants them to carry two swords. It's not like he's um, advocating the use of violence right. all the time. But be able to protect yourself because right. it's dangerous in these streets. It seems that Jesus is telling his disciples to be prepared to defend themselves, and maybe he meant that there's no glory in being victimized. Now, here's an example of Jesus behaving in a way that could be considered violent. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors... We would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. 
So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. Matthew twenty three twenty seven through 31 This passage is from one of Jesus' public battles with the religious authorities of his time. I like that he hates the hypocrites the most. I oh, yes. also hate the hypocrites the most. Jesus' verbal assault goes on. This is a excerpt from that. His, um, I was going to say a rant. It seems inappropriate it's, to say that. But that's what it is. Yeah, and it's, it's absolutely relentless. He goes on. The religious organization of the temple, and I must stress it was during this time, not all Jews in perpetual and forever, had pretended to meet the needs of the people and instead was willing to work with the occupying Roman government to achieve its own ends. It also found ways of profiting from the miseries of people. Yay! For example, sacrifice of animals was the accepted way of doing penance for your sins. Right. A person would bring an animal, size and type determined according to Moses' law, and have the priest sacrificed it. This animal would have to be without blemishes, a perfect specimen, because many people traveled to the temple on pilgrimage, and were, many were not farmers, but tradesmen. The animals in question were often purchased on temple grounds. Romans had demanded that the common currency of all colonized countries was the Roman coin, with an engraved image of the emperor. Since this was considered a graven image, money had to be exchanged at the temple for money that did not bear the likeness of a false god. Right. Money changers. Right, you exactly. may have heard the term. Now, Guys, be careful. We're about to tread right onto the edges of anti-Semitism. Go ahead. The result was that the vendors put up booths selling livestock on temple grounds, and penitent sinners wandered into the temple courts looking for the best exchange rates. Unscrupulous money changers set the rate of exchange and the price of the sacrificial animals. A penitent, in a state of shame for their sins, might not be able to afford this. A truly impoverished li- the truly impoverished lived under a crippling guilt of these sins. And this That's, is reinforced by the culture. The, the same thing is done later, kind of, with... Um, what are they called? Table dispensations? Yes, exactly. It's the exact same idea. So cool. So it's not just Jewish people that no, do no, no, this. No, no, no. It's all people because we're monsters. Well, when we, when, when people Capitalism. find a way to make money, exactly. Capitalism is the problem, y'all. Whatever your problem is, the cause is probably capitalism. When Jesus healed people, he would often end with the phrase, "Your sins are forgiven." He could have easily said, "No charge." No sacrifices, no payment. Recognizing all this, you can imagine how Jesus reacted to seeing the stalls of animals inside the sacred courts of the temple. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Matthew twenty-one twelve to 13 the book of Matthew describes this as a succession of stories, the last story included, that lead to the trial and crucifixion of Jesus. It's as if Jesus accelerates his attacks on the organized church and its hypocrisy, knowing that he has limited time. All four of the gospel authors describe Jesus purging the temple. John, generally accepted as the last of the gospels written, includes a detail where Jesus makes a scourge of cords and uses it to rush the animals and their owners out. Is that like a whip? Yes. Okay. Jesus literally whipped them out. And and only John includes that detail. The rest of them are like he chases them out of the, the temple. Yeah, but you used a weapon. <laughs> right. Now we're we going to talk about Montgomery, yes. Alabama. Now to Amity for 
Our current news. Our current news. So, I'm sure you all are aware of an incident that happened on the banks of the river in Montgomery, Alabama. We'll, we'll start at the beginning. There's a large boat, a, re, a, a refurbished, if you will, mm-hmm. riverboat, uh, that has a specific mooring place in, uh, uh, on these docks in Montgomery, Alabama. When it came up to dock in the afternoon, uh, there was a pontoon boat full of intoxicated white people who refused to move. The co-captain of the boat came ashore, came onto the dock, and went up to these uh, individuals and asked them to move, told them to move, explained them that they needed to move. This is a black man. Most of the crew and um, passengers on the riverboat Mm -hmm. were black. These people in the pontoon were white and drunk and Alabaman. Those are the three things that we know about them. After about an hour of back and forth, which was largely racially violent Mm -hmm. in tone and words towards this black co-captain. A lot of people mischaracterized him at the beginning of uh, when we first heard this story as a dock worker, but he was a captain, a co-captain of the of the uh, riverboat. They, the white men and women proceeded to disembark from their little boat, which they still had not moved after an hour of being told very as though you were talking to a child, mm-hmm. you need to move your boat. You do not belong here. They came onto the dock and they attacked this single black captain of this boat. They didn't know who he was. Could have been a security guard. Mm-hmm. They, you know, he may have introduced himself and said where he was from. Uh, we have all of this on video from various, uh, various angles and perspectives. As this man is attacked by no less than four people, violently, uh, he throws his hat in the air as though he were signaling, (laughs) and a number of his community, black people, came to his aid, and there was a brawl. There is no other way to say it, um, except to say that it was only a brawl after it was a violent attack on a single person. And there should be no mincing words about this fact as well. If people had not come to this man's aid, these these people would have beaten him to death. They yeah. would have lynched him there on that dock. Now, for historical context, this is a dock where a very large percentage of the slave trade, the chattel slave trade in the South took place. It is where slaves were disembarked from ships and in a very short proximity where they were held until they were sold. So there's already like historical stress Mm -hmm. in this location. Um, And what we see is Black people coming. There's a there's a young man who jumps off the boat and swims to the dock. 
um, the the boat is finally able to get around and people start disembarking and coming to this man's aid. Mm. Uh, there you can hear and see women filming and also, you know, sort of cheering things on there. And, you know, there's the infamous folding chair. There's there's women fighting women. There's women fighting men. One of the women gets knocked into the wa- water and then climbs back on the on the dock. But she instigated a lot of this. She's the one who was struck by a plastic folding chair. So let's not get mm. ourselves twisted too much out of shape about that. Uh, and finally, and and there are white police officers that appear during this altercation that don't stop it. Right. They stop it only when the chair is brought in and um, it, like weapons have basically mm-hmm. been been brought in. Now we should say, given that this is the South and it's a racial attack because right. that's what it was. Um, we should be very, very um, thankful that no guns came into play, right. uh, which apparently the owners of that pontoon, who were also extraordinarily intoxicated, so maybe shouldn't have been navigating a boat anyways, had threatened to get a weapon. They had threatened to go get a gun. So once again, these people were fixing to murder this black man in front of everybody. Right. And here's the thing. The black people in this country are done. (laughs) They're done. They have been asking, begging, uh, cajoling, uh, presenting their case in rational arguments for 300 years, and they are not being heard or they are not being listened to, and they are being killed en masse by the police in this country and by white supremacists, and they are done. Uh, as a community, they, didn't, they did not attack. They were solely defending. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been, like, there's a lot of discourse around this. Ho- most of what I have seen has been the black community just saying there was, this was a catharsis for them. Yeah. And there is a shift in the culture. They could all feel it. Like, oh, we have each other's backs and we're not going to take it anymore. Right, which is what I felt when I saw it. Um, because I've often lived with the contradiction myself, as you've known me for Ever. years now. Yeah. <laughs> is that I have practiced martial arts for, I was talking to my friend Alan, who's also, who's my uh, sensei. Um for oh, 35 years now? Yeah. It's crazy. When I think about it, I'll probably be buried in a gi. Um, okay, you got to get one. Uh, but, Can you find a black one, though? Yes, that's what I was asking about. Where did you find a I asked him, where can I find a black gi? Um, he only wears black ever. That's why we're saying that. You don't know that because you don't know him, but that is what it is. But I, um, I've of, often had this sort of feeling... That am I supposed to be nonviolent? Am I allowed to use it to defend myself? And also thinking about from the point of view of, of the people who are on the boat, yeah. on the riverboat, watching this man get attacked. Yeah. Because what started as a one on one conflict suddenly became a bunch of people at the same time. Yeah. He was swarmed. 
Yeah. And they were literally going to, as he pointed out, they were going to beat him to death. They would have beaten him to death. In plain view of everyone in yep. broad daylight. If nobody had stopped them, right. that man would have been, if not killed, mm-hmm. probably put in the hospital for a very long time and right. probably with significant traumatic and brain I, injury. I think that as we've seen court case after court case, event after event, where police officers are not um, prosecuted. We should also say, uh-huh. in this case... Right. The people who were arrested were the white people. Right. A, not a single black person was arrested okay. for this. Uh, Which is a huge change from that the That is dynamic. a huge change. And nobody was even brought in except mm-hmm. the white people. Then the white people, they, they sent warrants out for the rest of their arrests. The only person they wanted to speak to, of course, was the dude with the folding chair. Uh-huh. And they didn't arrest him. They just wanted to talk to him. Because once again, it was a plastic folding chair. It wasn't a it wasn't mm-hmm. a deadly weapon. And she, this, the woman that he hit, had instigated a lot of what had right. happened. She wasn't just. I don't seem a to remember passive. him using the edge of the chair either. I no, he used the flat, of, used it, like a flat was, of it of, of a plastic folding chair. Was, you know, this kind, this is the kind of chair that literally chair. would not be supported. Like right. I would not be supported by this chair. This is one of those chairs that I look at and I just go, oh, "I'm going to stand." Okay. <laughs> That's okay. Like it wasn't. Mm-hmm. In but, any way, a significant weapon. Right. But it was the biggest weapon other than the 300 years of rage <laughs> <laughs> that had been simmering well, yeah, in the black community. It seemed very much like a turning point because there's been so many times that we've seen this. And we've seen people shot and killed and run down with cars. And I think God bless the inventors of the cell phone. Camera. Yeah. I camera. Mean, yeah. The cameras are very important it's now. Odd to think that I, I have conversations with people who wonder if there was a rise in anti uh a racist uh actions towards African Americans that began in recent years. I said, Well, there's that, but a lot of it was just now we have the ability to relate to you what's been going on to us. Right. For it, yes. centuries. It's been going on forever, but right. I will say that the the election of Barack Obama really sent some white people into their feelings. Right. And then the election of Donald Trump allowed them to go ahead and put those feelings right. on Donald front Trump street. So it's who... a it's a it's a twenty year right. and or we, fifteen year we've seen that now, now that he's been um indicted. Over and over again. Sorry. <laughs> and he is uh facing Actual real prison time. time. This man, if you if you need to hear this today, Donald Trump is going to go to prison. He's going to go to prison, and he's probably going to go to prison before any of his court dates, at least for a little while, because he can't shut his mouth and he is inciting violence against both the judges and grand jury that he has that has indicted him. But also. He's going to be convicted for some of these crimes. He's got 91 federal and state charges against him now. There are at least two more indictments and probably four more indictments. Right now, he's facing a max of 791 years in prison. He's not going to do all of them because he's very old. And also, that's not how long humans live. He might be the devil, though. (laughs) (laughs) So he may be in prison for 700 years. And you know what? Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. <laughs> I, I feel like he has incited violence when he was on the campaign trail. Yep. 
he started inciting right. violence against Mexicans. Right. The, and he the, also, as soon as he started talking about maybe running for president. When I watched on this campaign trail for his uh, presidential campaign the first time, there were security guards beating up members of the press, yep. attacking members of the press. And him saying that he'd cover bail for right. people who were attacking others, uh, other, basically right. literally anybody. There that was the story worked. that really shocked me, which is hearing about um, one of his campaign trucks running another campaign truck off the road, if you remember that. Yep. But there's been, in any other instance, it would be, that alone would be enough. And we've heard that. That's been happening all the time. For, yeah. It's just it just piles on top of layer after layer of this kind of nonsense to where in the end it's we've just existed in a much more violent culture than we did when he started. Yes. And he's encouraging this because he's instead of being yeah. sort of a moral compass that we can use, he is a person who has just lowered the lowered the moral standards and raised the temperature yeah. everywhere that he goes. And he's yeah. appealing to angry, frightened people. He's appealing to angry, frightened mm. people who are also um, sort of undergoing a weird sort of an existential crisis. Mm -hmm. Like, if you are a person, I'm speaking as a white person. Now, I don't... Mm -hmm. I identify as white because that's what society identifies me as. I right. don't... Feel, like, there. here's the reality of it. Whiteness doesn't exist, and the way you can tell is we don't have white culture. That's not a thing. Mm. Um, but, and we've started using the term uh, global majority mm -hmm. for quote-unquote minorities because white people, not only do we not really exist, we are by far the minority yeah. on the globe. Uh, and... Soon we're going to be a minority in this country. And some people can't handle that. Well, what, what, and again, speaking as a person who's, as I mentioned before, fully half indigenous, mm -hmm. if not more. If not more, right. Um, when I see people talk about America for Americans or using those terms, it just startles me. Cause I, I because I don't myself, understand what that actually means. You do yeah. understand that. The history of European settlers in the United States is a fraction. It's a, it's, a fraction of it's thousands like, of years. It's like saying Earth for Earthlings and thinking right. that means humans. Right. No, it actually probably means ferns. Like we've only been on the planet for a fraction of its right. existence, and white people have or colonizing mm -hmm. uh, societies have only been on this continent. continent for a fraction of the amount of time yeah. that people have been on this continent for sure. But, yeah, so when I hear that kind of talk, it always infuriates me because I think to myself, well, but you're not American. You know, you're no. European. But they're also taught in our school systems right. two things. One, manifest destiny. Which is we deserve a it. lie, yes. Yeah. Oh, no, it's fully made up. Mm -hmm. it, is, it, is it is historical propaganda, which is wild. Right. But they're also taught, we're also taught in school that and through media, mm -hmm. that indigenous people didn't have civilization. Right. That we brought civilization, that white people brought civilization to this country. Because there is a vast overestimation of European everything, yeah. and a vast underestimation of indigenous anything. Right. And the reality is, the colonizing civilizations have 
destroyed this planet in a way that indigenous civilizations never would. No. Because they understand that they are part of the Earth and not its rulers and overlords. Not just the Earth, but the people around them. Yes, there are skirmishes, there are... Yes. yes. We're not saying that every indigenous uh, civilization is, you know, a bunch of angels. That's not what we're saying. Mm -hmm. But they lived in harmony with the lands that they had, and they understood that they were part of protecting and preserving for themselves, for the children, for the future. Whereas colonizers are like, what can I get now? And I don't care what happens after I'm dead, because that doesn't really concern me. Really, they don't seem to. That colonization mentality doesn't seem to take into account what's going to happen to their children and the children after them. They don't care. They don't seem to think of the existence. They don't seem to think much in terms of their culture and preserving that culture. Because it's always going to change to maintain the space at the top, so if it means raping and pillaging and destroying what exists and taking what they can for the, the amount of time that they can use it, and then moving on and expanding to it, destroying and raping and right. pillaging someplace else. And a lot of that comes from the fact that whiteness, when whiteness was mm. created, which whiteness was only created in opposition to blackness. Right. That's there, Otherwise, you were, you're, you were English, you were Scandinavian, you were French, you were German, whatever you were, mm. that's, that's what your culture was. Right. Then, and especially in the face of way more black people that uh, you are trying to subjugate right. than white people that you are like, quote unquote, mm-hmm. then you make this amalgam. It's, it's, I don't want to say that it is analogous to what um, chattel slavery did to African cultures, mm-hmm. but it's not dissimilar from that so you make you you bring a a group of visually similar but culturally linguistically spiritually different people and just treat them all the same they're gonna find similarities and they're gonna find um a way to live alongside each other because they don't have a choice so that's what happened to black people who are stuck in chattel slavery and then it's what what white people did to themselves out of fear of the vastly more populous group that they had to make sure were less than they were. And they, they did it, you know, through the slavery, through the laws, through <laughs> the beginning of the police. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do it now. By keeping... By gerrymandering. Yeah, but but the people who are doing it now are an even smaller group Mm -hmm. of not entirely white people, but mostly white people who are just... They know that... The billionaires in this country know that there are like 25 of them. or There's not. There's like 500 of them. And so they keep white people hating black people, hating Latinos, Latinos hating black people... People who are slightly less poor hating those who are more poor. People who live on this side of the of a boundary hating the people on that side of the boundary. Mm. Because if we all hate each other and not them, then they stay safe. Right. Well, that's exactly what Tolstoy was saying. <laughs> yes. I know. So, it's exactly the same. Redrawing districts mm-hmm. so that uh, 
according to the, the more manipulating our political system so that it robs black and brown and Asian people of having a vote. Not not just gerrymandering, but here's this. Mm-hmm. In a lot of the southern states, they ger- they do gerrymander, mm-hmm. but they also incorporate into very low population uh, areas that are predominantly white mm-hmm. an entire prison who is full of people who cannot vote and may never be able to vote again, but that population number gets added to the minuscule population of the actual area around it, and then they get like a whole member of Congress or something like that. I don't understand how conservatives, white, uh, well, I don't want to say just specifically white, uh, uh, largely Christian white. nationalists, yes, and those can be any color. Yeah, um, how they can accept the most absurd kind of conspiracy theories, hypocrites, but they can't accept the fact that there is an actual conspiracy. Yeah, and it's not directed towards them. That's what puzzles me. I'm baffled by that because well, I'm thinking, or the those the right. conspiracies that are actually tor- targeted towards them, they just refuse right. to believe. Because well, there are conspiracies. I'll, I'll, I'll burst several balloons right now. Number one, Angkor Wat, Stonehenge, the pyramids were not built by aliens. I love the idea that this is not a reflection of white supremacy, uh, supremacist ideology. Ancient aliens is completely 100% a reflection of white supremacist yeah. ideas. Yep. The idea that unless a Caucasian person, uh, Caucasian people built monuments and Native American cultures, uh, pre-Hispanic cultures uh, in this country, uh, in Vietnam, in Southeast, all these people yep. were lost civilizations. Perhaps they were helped along by alien beings. That's all nonsense. It's nonsense. And the, right. the, coupled with the, the not just the hubris of if white people didn't do it, it couldn't possibly right. be done by man, but also we can't figure out how they did it, so it must not have right. been done by humans. Like, there's, I'm sorry. There's, what? There's just that. I can't figure out right. how how planes work, but I don't. I don't right. believe. Therefore, I don't they're created by the gods. Right. What are you talking it's, about? That's insane. And then also the, the notion, and it also leads to sort of a, a religious supremacist notion, which is other people's religions are just reflections of aliens that came from outer space, and they're that's in a way. Hey guys, disres- same could go for yeah. y'all. It's disrespecting other religions and other cultures to mm-hmm. say that. Yeah. When someone, you know, another bright orange man with bad hair uh, is on television claiming that, well, the Hindus are actually all worshipping aliens from outer space, I'm thinking... You're talking about that? Yes. That, that dude, yeah. that great dude <laughs> whose name I can't remember, on Ancient but, Aliens? But yes. It's, uh, orange, As he gets madder, his hair gets bigger. It's right. wild. But it's one of those things where there, the reflections of white supremacist culture and white nationalism uh-huh. are all over the place. Yep. They exist in the strangest places. And yes, these are conspiracies. They're active ideas that people are promulgating to sort of give the notion that there is one w- one right way to exist, yep. that there's one right group of people. I mean, it is... It's it's not mm-hmm. it's it's hand in hand with patriarchy. I'd have to do some research to figure out which mm-hmm. which, which came first. Right. But they're very tightly linked. Things like fat phobia. Right. Fat people used to be, if if not worshipped, which they were mm-hmm. in some cases. You look at the oldest depictions of people. It's a fat. It's fat right. women, right? Um, but 
when when white people and black people started coexisting together, specifically in the early uh, Indies and U.S., mm-hmm. uh, and black women are very often built in, they're, they're more voluptuous than mm-hmm. white women are. And when white men started being attracted to, attracting to that, attracted to that, uh, they had to say that it was ugly, mm-hmm. and then white women had to be the opposite. Right. You can't be like them because they're not quote unquote people or whatever. Like it's that. That's where fat phobia comes from across the globe, which is bonkers. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's white supremacy. Oh, and, and also, as a white person, we're not supreme of anything. Like, that's... We're really well, good at this. The only and that's it. white supremacy is economic, and that's forced itself. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's because we cheated. Well, well, like, that's, that's not... Pretty much it. It's also taking other people's resources. It's the same thing as... Right. Yeah, there's no such thing as an ethical billionaire, because you don't get a billion dollars unless mm. you are living off of the slaves of takes slavery. Right. You, whether it's just strict wage slavery, or... You know, sweatshops in, in foreign countries, which, hey guys, it's sweatshops in foreign countries and wage slavery. It's both. Mm-hmm. They are living off of the blood and sweat of people that they never see and don't think about. Right. And they they make all their money off of that labor, and the people who are doing the labor don't get to see any of that. I'm really talking like a socialist because you know what I think about being a socialist. Well, okay, <laughs> the, so the means of the production means. needs to go back to the, those who produce. <laughs> You'll be in good company. Yeah, I yeah. know, right? <laughs> when um, when we're addressing this topic, what was really infuriating to me, and I, I mentioned it to you a lot of uh, during uh, the last couple of days. Yeah, this Tucker Carlson statement. White men don't fight this way, which was a you know the idea that they gang up on it people. was before it was right pre before this. this it was before this it was another instance where right. white people fought that way because mm-hmm. guess what white men in particular right. fight this way and, and when I first heard him make that statement, I was infuriated because the only times I've ever been threatened with being attacked were by groups of white men groups it was never of white one men. guy nope. ever said to me anything um but it's like when there's two or three suddenly they start getting their courage up and then it it um but the same thing my not backing down sort of made them back up so I'm going yeah um if they thought I was any weaker or if they saw me as uh-huh. any less intimidating they would have tried yep. something because there was have. three of them or there was two of them and they were really drunk or something like that yeah but I've never ever been approached by one guy who's going to go oh yeah that's it well let's do this fair. yeah no no it's no. not going to happen um and, I, and it reminded me of what I saw on that dock. In Montgomery. Yeah. Which is, they're all going to jump up at the same time. Yep. And so, what, I agree with you. This was the beginning of a tide turning. Yep. Where the kind of frustration with what we've seen in the past, and not to mention all of the ways in which African American people have been economically depressed. The way that their history is being depressed. rewritten. Yep. So that uh, their you know, people are refusing to teach the truth. The fact that I didn't learn about Tulsa until I was in my late 30s mm-hmm. is infuriating right. to me. I can't imagine what it's like to black people who know the story. Yeah. Because, A, why should they have to be the ones to tell me? Right. Like, it's this not their a, job to educate me. 
But I, I, yeah, yeah. Until literally Lovecraft Country and um, Watchmen. Watchmen. I never heard that story, and the fact that th- and there are several other stories I know. Basic, you know, small targeted genocides that yeah, have happened the Sand in this Hill country Massacre was one that we talked about recently, where a group of uh, American soldiers yeah. attacked uh, Native American women and children and slaughtered them, killed the children, took trophies of body parts from the women and children. Um, it was it was completely unprovoked. Yeah, entirely unprovoked. And the fact that I found out about it because of I had a friend who was traveling who happened on it. Yeah, and she was aware of that. And it's that's st- like why didn't I know that? I remember uh, we had a roommate that uh, she didn't know who Fred Hampton was. Yeah, I didn't either and just, until relatively right. recently, before Tulsa, but not much before. Yeah. Did not learn about that in school. Nope. So the the notion that when you're looking at African-American people, you're looking at people whose history is being erased, whose, whose history in this country is being erased, their history, their connection with Africa itself has, has already been, been erased. To in, it, or at right. least torn deeply asunder. Right. Yeah. As, the same as it was for Native American people. Yeah. They're just, they're taught uh, to stop speaking their religion. Mm-hmm. They're coming... Here, they're, um, or excuse me, stop speaking their indigenous languages. Stop believing your actual God, and we're going to replace it with the God of love and peace, which seems a really yes. We're going to do it violently. We're going to beat it into you. Right? What? (laughs) And that I don't understand at all because it's so contrary to the teachings of this particular religious leader. Well, but we've also heard mm -hmm. tell of of people going up to their pastors right. and saying that are preaching this white nationalist mm. violent rhetoric and saying, you know, but G- wouldn't Jesus do da 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 and being met by pastors saying that's weak and we're not being weak anymore. Well, it's just like, well, then you're not Christian anymore. So what I should guess. Jesus have done? It's what should, should he have acted out against Pontius Pilate? Should he have overwhelmed the Romans with the force of his angels? Which he, All of these things, if you're accepting Jesus is who he said he was, as I do, then he had two choices, either to overrun the world with his wrath, yeah. or simply to do the job that he came to do, and to die the same way that every human being has died yeah. before him. And so, to me, that speaks volumes more in terms of strength. I have the strength not to act out. But also, he knew what was going to happen to him afterwards. That isn't to say that black people in the United States should just take it. That's interesting. When I was attending a a mission that my mom helped start, I was one of the founding members of this mission, broke off from a church. What do you mean by mission? A mission was a a small congregation that went into another community and began reaching out to people there. And ours was in San Leandro. Uh, but I was part of that mission community, and most of the people we got there were actually people who were previously churched. So it wasn't like we were reaching out to addicts and homeless people. No, it was it was a it wasn't quite a mission in function. Um, but anyhow, uh, we met with other churches and we had like a Bible study group. And at one point, I'm talking to one of my friends there, uh, Rick Thomas, and uh, talking to my nephew, who's another practicing martial artist. 
And I'm not sure how we were on the got on the topic. This was after the service was over. We were sitting around socializing, and everyone would bring a cake or something to drink, and we'd all sit there and talk afterwards. Yeah. And one of the members of the Southern Church who was meeting with us was um, uh, sort of tall, early 40s Caucasian woman. Okay. Right? Very thin, large glasses. She reminded me of like a very tall Mia Farrow. Uh-huh. Oh, and she overheard us talking, and she just interrupted us to inform us that why are we talking about violence uh, or as a, you know, using violence or defending yourself using violence or... And it was just sort of surprised because it's like, no, we were talking about other applications of the martial arts. And she went on to say that she would never teach her child to be violent, that that's all violent and she would never teach her child that way. She went on further to say, and she had a 14-year-old girl that she was kind of had a difficult relationship with and now I can understand why. Or After that conversation, I understood why. That her 14-year-old daughter told her repeatedly that she was being bullied at public school mm-hmm. and pushed and shoved and smacked around. No doubt at a school that says that they have no tolerance for that, right. by the way. Anyways, and that she um, would tell her, well, then we're going to have to pray about this. And This person also doesn't vaccinate and right. probably doesn't I, take her daughter to I the doctor. I, this was a very long time ago. And then told us a story about that she meant to show the triumph of her her um her nonviolent beliefs, which is one day going to pick up her daughter she uh from school she saw her daughter getting the daylights beaten out of her by three or four girls who were literally knocked her down and started slapping and kicking her, and that as a mother, she just kept telling them, "Please stop, please stop." And eventually they saw her and ran away. And her daughter has black eyes at this point and is knocked silly. And uh, I think it was a broken rib. But she was able to get her to uh, a doctor. And they were able to, you know, she sent her back to school the next day. Um, And her idea was, well... That child is going to bring a gun to school at some point. The the issue, what, what kind of horrified me about hearing that story is, not just that her belief system or her belief in nonviolence as being the only way to react to this situation kept her, or it's driving a rift now between her and her daughter. Yeah. But also yeah, the Yeah, you're idea not going to hear from your kid when she moves out. That's right, going to be it for her. That this woman actually overcame the very primal instinct of a parent to defend their child by convincing themselves that this was the right way to do it. That the proper way to enact turn the other cheek was for you to not, uh, for you to allow your own daughter to get beaten silly like that. Yeah. And, and that was frightening to me. And I, I thought about in context of this uh, particular incident in Alabama, and I thought maybe this is where you don't turn the other cheek when you see somebody else who needs help. Yeah. I think maybe as we've mm-hmm. had to reframe the definition that we're taught of racism. Mm -hmm. It's not just, you said the N-word to me, and that's racism. It's a structural, um, integral, systemic issue. Um, And the everyday microaggressions or macroaggressions that we see are symptoms of, Mm -hmm. but not the actual thing. Uh, Maybe we need to reframe violence as offensive as yeah. opposed to 
anything that is, um, you know, combative. Right. Just the stuff that we're talking, like you're talking about an offensive move against somebody who is not coming at you right. in a violent way. If you are defending yourself, I don't think that that's violence. And if you're defending somebody else. Even if you are right. defending, yes, or somebody else. Yeah. If you are in defense, regardless of the amount of force or the type of force that you're using, mm -hmm. you didn't start it. You didn't wake up and choose violence, as the phrase yeah. is, the current phrase is. This other person chose violence, and all you can do is you can either take it and possibly die, or you can stand up to it and maybe hurt right. them, but they initiated it that you are not you shouldn't be sort of looked down on as being violent if you are protecting yourself or literally anybody else with the um and i'm talking specifically about protecting people i'm not talking about protecting property mm -hmm. i want to be very clear because that is a fundamental problem in this right. country as well well one of the things that Interests me, and for a moment we were going to include a whole conversation about Uncle Tom's Cabin. Yes, uh, and that we're going to have to visit another time because that really, as much as it meant to help the cause, and it did help the cause of African American people in this country, and it also at the same time gave this point of view that uh, the character of Uncle Tom himself is just so righteous that even after being beaten to death by his overseers, before he expires, he forgives them, and and then heals sort of over. And this is, yes, this is what Jesus did, but the idea that he is so passive. Yeah. Um, yeah, and not even that state where the there's that joke of right. he's being burned or whatever, or right. boiled or whatever. Says, says, yeah, he says, turn me over, I'm done on this side. Right. He's not forgiving anybody. Yeah. He's just trying to keep a piece of himself right. as he's being destroyed. As as, And I think that's also what this is about. It's about when Jesus is saying, turn the other cheek, he's talking, I think, about sort of your ego, right? Um, and I don't think he's discussing somebody who's attacking you for what you are. Yeah. He's not talking about that. Yeah. And I think that that was the difference. Jesus himself, as we see here, he was more than willing to go shouting you down. Yeah. If you're a hypocrite, he was more than willing to kick you literally out of the temple if you were there. It does have a little bit of a vibe, of, mm -hmm. especially if, the, if they force you to walk a mile, walk two with them. Mm -hmm. It has a little bit of a... You made me smoke a cigarette, I'm going to make you smoke a whole pack situation <laughs> like it's that kind of like a weird um sort of push back with mm -hmm. like more like and almost like turn the other cheek is if someone slaps you mm -hmm. a lot of times the, the the next thing that happens is they're like oh no right. what did i just do right yeah so if you turn the other cheek it's really forcing them to really say hey should i have done that do i, I feel good exactly which is by doing this, you're forcing them to see you as a human being right. and not as other. Yep. And forcing them to look at right. their own actions. Because you can... Do, some A person can do mm. something unthinking right. once. The 
The first time we just, I just said this in the car. The first time's an ac- accident. The mm-hmm. second time's a choice. Right. So that's basically what he's saying. He's kind of saying, okay, well, was it malicious? If right. you turn the other cheek and they back down, it yeah. was, it might not have been malicious. It might have been they're having right. a bad, whatever it is, right? This mm-hmm. is weirdly specific because right. if you slap me in the face, we're going to have a problem. That's, <laughs> I don't, um, that's that's one of those things that I'm gonna instantly start crying mm-hmm. and probably start punching. Like that's not a right. sensation that I can handle, but I think that's personal trauma more than anything right. else. But like it is sort of a, a, a an offering of hey, did you like did you mean it? Because mm-hmm. I think if you turn the other cheek and they slap that one, okay, well but it's I, on I guess. And, and I don't know that I they don't finish it. He doesn't finish it. But like okay, right. if you hit me again. Then, then we're really going to do There was a, and I'll, I'll, I guess I'll end with this rather. Um, and I'm not sure I told this story here, mm-hmm. but you know it. Um, you used to live, work in an office building, mm-hmm. uh, a doctor's office, which was across the street from where we both currently work. Okay, yes. And uh, there was a very slow elevator. Yes. That would take you from the garage floor to the upstairs where you were. Eventually, for sure. Someday, you had your hopes on it. It required a great deal of faith. I literally could go up and down those stairs like three times before you'd get up in one elevator, and I don't go upstairs quickly. This particular day, I had walked from home, so I had walked a full mile uh, to the op- your office. Oh, yes. Okay, and I do so remember that. I yeah. tried to get in, and the, the thing is, there was one door leading from the outside and one door from the parking garage. Yes. And so... Into a very small little lobby right. where there was a stairway and the elevator doors, and that's basically it. Right. Yeah. So I pressed the button for the elevator, and I'm standing there waiting for it because I just didn't feel like after walking for an entire mile, going up and down the stairs. You don't have to rationalize using an elevator. It's totally fine. So this woman comes in, a small Caucasian woman. She must have been about five foot four or something. She comes in and she's just fussing over her hair and fussing over her purse and she walks in and she steps right in front of me and presses the button and just waits and it doesn't light up. Because so, it was already lit? or No, no, no it oh, okay. lit up for a while and it would shut off. Oh, okay. I'm going, is that working? So uh, I said, excuse me, and I guess she, I thought she saw me, so I reached around her after I said, excuse me, to press the button again, and she saw me and she literally shrieked. Which is wild, because this... Right. If you're so unaware of your surroundings that you yes. can walk into a space that is maybe four by six. Yes, it was very small. And not see a full human being right. who is definitely standing there, All, is definitely taller than you, and wearing black. Like, what? <laughs> so she You don't shrieked, get to shriek at this point. And then she took a swing at me. Oh, no. And I slipped it because, thank God, yeah. for 35 years we talked about it in martial arts. And then when I slipped it, she looked at me and her face got really screwed up and intense. And then she took another swing at me in the opposite direction because I had the, uh, the audacity, audacity to not stay not in there to get take struck it. by her. Yes. And so she Which, honestly, it. if she'd hit you, you probably wouldn't even have felt it. Right, but, <laughs> but like, I, I don't let her hit you. But. And I slipped it again. And then she just sort of looks at me and she doesn't know what her next step is. And I said, that's that's all I can give you, man. The next time I'm going to have to take care of myself, right? I can't let you yeah. hit me. And then she sort of fumes, and then she turns around, and the elevator finally opens the door. Uh, elevator doors, rather, finally open, and she walks in. 
And then she looks at me and goes, well, aren't you coming? I'm like, no, I'm not coming. No, I'm not getting in an enclosed space with you. (laughs) I just saw what happens when I get, because you know what's going to happen? We're going to get up there and you're going to scream rape. Right. You you are untrustworthy. I know how the story ends and it doesn't end good for me. No, ma'am. So... (laughs) I think that was an example of like. Aren't you getting wild? Yeah. She was definitely going to set you up with some hands. I had no. Uh-uh. Yeah, that's just that, that. I was like, you know, suddenly that. Wow. I was adrenalized enough to get up those stairs. Nope. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm. Fuck it. I'll wait five <laughs> more minutes for this thing to come back down. I'm not. Mm-mm. But that was. That's. Ugh. It was. It was a crazy encounter, and it was a perfect example of like a micro and macro aggression. Oh, yeah. It was a perfect example of, like, in this case, one of the few times I actually did turn the other cheek. Here's another microaggression. How many white people have you told that story to who went, that didn't happen? Oh, gosh. Yeah, two. I can think of it. uh, That I can think of. And it was really strange how as often as when I talk to people who aren't people of color, how they don't get it. They're, well, what? You were going to hit her? Said, yeah, I don't get no, it. I'm but I understand it. it. Yeah, no. What? I'm not going to like. I'm sorry. Let her hit me. I didn't if let her someone hit me the swings first two on times. you twice, right? But I here's the thing. That, there's also this whole you can't hit a woman thing, and I'm like, oh no, you can. You don't do it out of nowhere. Don't right. initiate violence. I don't think you should initiate violence against anybody. Right. But if you're being attacked by a woman, I have. I, I, as a woman, am giving you full permission to knock that woman out what if you have to. What's though is like that second attempt. Like, she was just so angry because she thought we were still in a century where she, as a white woman, mm-hmm. being frightened by the big, dark, brown man in the corner, had the right to smack him, and he just had to take it. I just had to take it. And then get in an enclosed space with her. Right. With you. Like, I didn't wow. understand that. But that's for those of our listeners who are... You know, looking at this from the outside, as uh, who aren't people of color, also I'll put it that way. Looking at that, just going, well, what is he going on about? That's kind of the behavior that I've had to face a lot of my life, yep. and the kind of behavior that I'm sure that these people in Alabama had to face. Yeah, every yeah. day, right. and they're in Alabama. You're in California, right? Exactly. You're in Berkeley, California, a place that prides itself on being liberal and open-minded, but did have... Oh, yeah. They weren't a sundown town, but they did run black people out at the beginning of uh, the 60s. The number of stories that I could tell you, and if I got friends like Alan or some of the you know my other friends to sit and just talk about mm-hmm. what we've dealt with, it's, it is sort of shocking, and you do get people going, well, that didn't happen to you. It, that which is... Mm-hmm. bonkers to me. And I don't know if it's because I am fortunate enough to have a lot of close friends that mm-hmm. are people of color or I just am aware of the monstrosities that white mm-hmm. people can meet out on themselves, let alone right. anybody else around them. None of these stories. I never think that didn't happen. I'm always like, right. yeah, that sounds about white. And, and the, the, I want to clarify that it's also not just white people. There no. are people of color who think that the way to get to where they want to be in terms of life goals is to fall into line. Or as Malcolm X put it, there are some of us who live in the house and some who live in, you know, work in the field, right? Work See, in the house, also, work in the field. poor people. Right. 
acquiescing to the wants of rich people thinking they can get there. Y'all, you can't get there. A black man is never going to be accepted by uh, rich white conservatives just like poor white people are never going to be accepted by that same group of people. But both are trying to get in, and then they turn against each other, and we... Are in the positions that we're in. In that respect, Tolstoy's interpretation of Jesus is right. Mm -hmm. Because he seemed to hit, in the very least, his analysis of what the problem was Mm -hmm. was spot on. Yeah, for sure. It's exactly what the issue is. Yep. That brings us to the end of our episode. Uh, It was a deep one, but I think it was good. Uh, If you liked it, subscribe, leave us a review, and you should share it with a friend, a family member. Uh, someone you think could learn a little thing or two, that would work too. We have an internet home, withoutworkspodcast.com. Our show notes and links to stories we talk about can be found there. Uh, We technically still have a Twitter slash X account, but you won't be seeing us over there. You can find us on Facebook by searching for Without Works Podcast, uh, or you can email us at withoutworkspod at gmail.com. All of those links, of course, are over at the website. So go there, have a look around. Click on those links and see what you find. I've been Amity, he's been Lemuel, and we urge you to go out and do something good. Yeah!